All right, guys. So this is my 10th take trying this intro. I just want to bring you guys up to speed. I've been sitting here in my house by myself trying to do this for, what is it? It's 2.56 in the morning, uh, Thursday morning, June 9th right now. And I'm trying to get an imperfect intro down in honor of our guest, Jennifer Ann Butler. And it's like... It's just, it doesn't make sense anymore to me. If, if it was supposed to be imperfect, I would have done the first recording and just left that as the intro. Yet here I am on the 10th try, trying to make sure that I'm very clear and concise about the topics we're hitting, about why it's important to give Jen money, about why it's important for me to not use cuss words at the very intro. To, I don't want to scare away the kids, the chillins. I don't want to scare kids away by my F-bomb that I dropped on the other take because it was a heavy F. It wasn't just like a, it wasn't just like I flipped it. Like I was mad. I was mad you guys because it, okay, this is the 10th tenth, tenth time and I'm done. I'm done now. So thank you for listening. <laughs> and, uh, go to, so this is so go to jenniferannbutler.com. We've got to help her realize a lifelong dream. Ever since she was a kid, she wanted to be a published author. And as of right now, the GoFundMe page only needs $400 more. And if we all give her $25, that means math. That means math somehow will equate only eight or 10 of us. Who knows? But if you give $25, you get a signed, delivered copy of the book once they're printed. And that's cause for celebration because dreams are coming true. And, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just drop us in on the episode. There's, you know, check the show notes, by the way. I'm putting the times of each topic. You, you can choose what topics you want to listen to or not listen to. You don't have to stay through the whole hour. Uh, but we do have P. Suede on the music, uh, his, his tracks. And we also have uh, Mr. David Foster Wallace on the intro. So this is everything in my own immediate being ruined by David, my deep belief that David I am fucking Foster Wallace coming in universe. too soon while the I'm recording most because I forgot the important person in existence. This but is it's pretty I much forgot the same for all of That's it. what I did wrong. It is this is the most imperfect of all the tries I've into our board to burn. I don't even know if I should. I feel like I just gotta let it go. I really love what DFW had to say, though. Your essential self is the foundation of the universe. Son of a bitch. Just as the waves are continuous with the ocean, your body is continuous with the total energy system of the cosmos. And it's all you. That itself is the basis of all being. We are the consciousness that allows the universe to view itself. Life as we experience it is a big act. And that behind this big act is the player. And uh, the player you. I want to start with your 30-day search for God. Okay, we're just jumping right in. Yeah. Okay. Because it's interesting. What do you want to know about it? I want to know what inspired you to start doing it. 
And because this is this is from your website, I just know what I read. Okay. And you, you, each day you made a blog post, mm-hmm. and your mindset of it was, you're gonna pray, meditate, and search for something. Yeah. So what prompted it is I dated a guy who loved himself some Jesus, and loved a lot of God. And I was like, you know, I don't want to hate on this. I He might know something that I don't. So I'm open to searching for this God character that everyone says such wonderful things about. And I had been agnostic and for a while atheist and all sorts of stuff. So the fact that I actually got to this point was pretty huge for me. Um, I had studied for probably a year just reading up on quantum physics and I called this higher power thing quantum Fred (laughs) and uh, just knew of the quantum field of pure potentiality and looked at things like energy and all that but it still felt like there was more than that and so what really prompted it was this two weeks of dating this gentleman and his love for God and Jesus and so I went to a church with them one day and they were all doing this thing where they had their arms in the air and then praise Jesus. And they were in it, man. Yeah. One hand up. Yes. Just, just, what are you touching? (laughs) They're like leaning up against the wall. I don't know. Blinded by the light. Yeah, clearly. And I was like not seeing the light and I felt so out of place. And it was my first time going or my second time ever going to church ever. Wow. I was raised, uh, my parents raised me and my brother to just be good and be nice, not because some God character tells us to or a book tells us to. Like, just do the right thing and don't be a jerk off. Mm-hmm. Can I cuss? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. All right. Do you want to get a few out just to Yeah, test I really actually do. <laughs> uh, uh, n- fuck shit. Nigger faggot. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> I want to say cunt fart. I don't know yeah. why, but cunt fart was like one of the first things that came to mind. Bullocks and balls. Yeah, absolutely. So the J dog continues to elude you. Um, Big J. Big J. Jesus with a with a hard J. Jesus. Cristo. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Yeah. So you're in there at the church service. Mm-hmm. By the way, I did the exact same thing as you. Really? And ma- matter of fact, I got in trouble for it. This is when I started writing last year when I was publishing my essays when I first started sharing my blog mm-hmm. the one of the one of the ones that got me in trouble was I went to a church because I was invited there and I you know I was raised Jewish but Christian but like never told what to believe in and I was wondering the whole time I was watching the people with their hands and, and trying to figure out like why can't I feel that mm-hmm. it's very exciting stuff though I was like very engaged by it entertained by it I felt bad because I couldn't feel what yeah. they were feeling. I was intrigued by it and I was like, okay, I know that that exists. That connection exists. I see that. And for me, part of it, I think, was I was still in this place of thinking that everyone in the world was staring at me. And like, I didn't, I was kind of afraid of what they would think of me if I got into that. So I struggled to let the walls down and be really vulnerable in that moment. Because I think it takes a level of vulnerability to be like, you know, doing this in yeah. front of a big group of people having your arms up and like just getting in it and crying and you know I was there like typically I isolate and socializing is weird and um so it was hard for me to really get there but it was good to see all these people doing it you know yeah so yeah I talked with this this Jesus gentleman the guy that I dated a bit and he actually said why don't you do 30 days of seeking God and 
initially I was like, fuck no, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. You know, that's what happened in my head because I'm like, you just want me to want your God. You want me to love your God. Mm -hmm. Fuck no. No. I feel like that's like someone saying there's like one type of cake, right? There's like just the strawberry cake of like, oh, so you're searching for strawberry cake. Here you go. It's like, no, no, no. I want to. I want to know about all the cakes, mm-hmm. like all of the different types of cakes that there are. That's my type of cake. So you can create your own. Right. Yes. Choose my own adventure. Yeah. I don't want just strawberry cake. And he wanted me to want strawberry cake. But I was uh-huh. like, okay, sure. Yeah. I'm going to seek your God. I'm going to seek God for 30 days. And I'm just like, I want to know what all this shit's about, you know? And for a long time, I used to think that people that prayed were lazy and... Like, go and do something about your life, damn it, rather than just praying about it, you know? Like, when I was 22, I was diagnosed with malignant melanoma, and people were like, oh, I'll pray for you. And I'm like, that's not that's not helping. <laughs> and then, you know, the surgeries took care of it. Thankfully, it was low-grade cancer. And everyone's like, oh, our prayers have been answered. And I'm like, no, no the surgeon at Emory... He took these these little things and he cut me open. He removed the cancer, sewed me up, and that's how that happened. That has nothing to do with prayer. Like that's how <laughs> I used to be, just very left brain, logical kind of bitchy. Well, I'm still kind of like that. Are you? Me and a friend I work with got our friend a job at Ridgeview, and uh, we went and talked to him, wrote emails about why we should hire him, and got him a job. The next day on Facebook, the post was, "My dreams have come true." Hashtag Thank you Jesus. <laughs> And I was like, you spelled my name wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, I Adam, A-D-A-M. Yeah. It was like, it was like, I didn't want any credit for it, but I didn't want the credit going towards, uh, I just felt like, you know, look at, look at reality, you yeah. know, but it's okay. Like, and I can't like my, my whole thing is I stay out of it now because the, the essay that I wrote was called in response to me describing the events of that church service where I was like, I don't know what's happening. I would read a scripture that they were preaching, like before they, I'd read it while they were reading it. And I'd be like, oh, that's what this means. And then the preacher would start to say what it really means. Like, that's not what, that's not what I was thinking. Yeah. Like they changed, they changed it. Or like what I thought was, di- was wrong is what I thought wrong. And then, uh, so the whole essay is just the stories we tell in search of meaning. Ooh, I love that. Because we just create these stories. And Mm -hmm. the whole point is if it makes, if it helps or it doesn't, I look at things as, is it helping or hurting? If it's helping, keep doing it. Yep. Whatever it is. But my 30-day search for God turned into like 20, like a long time search for God. Yeah, I'm I'm still doing it. Um, Definitely still doing it. But uh, I did some, I don't know if I prayed or meditated on it of what to do with my 30 days of seeking God or whatever. Are you good? Looks like you're about to either get up or poop. I'm not sure. Both. <laughs> okay. Gonna, just, just go, man. I'm going to poop all over this place. Just go. I want to make sure this podcast gets some poop in it. So <laughs> I'm going to adjust myself. Good. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Where were we before the poop? You're, you're blogging every day. Every day. About what you're learning. Right. But here's what was interesting is... Whenever I decided to seek this God character, I kind of like one guidance. I was like, to whom it may concern, I'd like to know how to do this. Uh, thank you. Amen. Uh, love, Jen. And I had this very strong feeling to pray every day, meditate every day, and to go to AA. I had never been to AA. So I got sober without AA or any of that. I did a completely different approach than a lot of people. Um, I did it through food and 
learning about the brain and learning about addiction and all that. So wait, you stopped yourself from drinking and drugging? Yes. Eating, learning about the brain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, learning about I was like, okay, I'm drinking two liters of vodka a week. That's probably not healthy. I have bleeding ulcers. I've been in a psych ward twice. And I was just like popping through pain pills like crazy. And I was like, you know, maybe this isn't the way to live. Maybe I'm not supposed to be so miserable that I need to numb myself. And uh, I started researching about the brain, addiction, alcohol specifically affected serotonin and sugar also affects serotonin. And so it's the same addiction. And so I removed sugar from my diet and started adding healthier foods in, adding green foods, um, those would be vegetables and the like. And I continued to add healthier foods and healthier activities and over a period of about six months completely weaned myself off of alcohol and pills. And then I had like a big, huge spiritual awakening thing that we can also touch on at one point that prompted me to officially quit drinking. And so April 5th, 2014 was my last drink of alcohol. Okay, let's go back to the six months before that. Okay. You said you were weaning off, you were, <clears throat> you started recognizing that the that the decisions you were making to drink and do pills, you, you, you weren't happy. Right. And so you weaned yourself off of it? Yes. Like, uh, like how? So alcohol and drugs, any of them, affect the neurotransmitters in the brain. So like when you drink alcohol or when I were to drink alcohol, it spikes serotonin. So it's that that's a neurotransmitter that helps you feel good, helps you feel at peace, helps you feel relaxed. So it gives that spike and you feel good about life. But what happens afterward, because the brain likes balance is it's going to drop back down and then you need more alcohol and it creates this addiction. And I, decided to instead incorporate foods and activities that help to increase the neurotransmitter production on a more sustainable level. So rather than it spiking like with alcohol or sugar and then dropping and spiking and dropping, something like veggies or exercise, healthier options will still raise the serotonin and dopamine and norepinephrine and other neurotransmitters, raise a production. And then with that sustainable balance, I have like this new, my bottom, I guess, isn't as low. So when I would drink, I was still drinking. I didn't remove anything at first. I was like, I'm just gonna add good stuff and not remove anything. Cause I didn't wanna go through the withdrawals. I didn't wanna feel like I was removing anything from my life. I wanted it to just naturally happen. So by putting healthy foods into my brain, <laughs> into my body, I would drink and I would have that spike. And then when I would drop down, I would, I guess, level off wherever my neurotransmitter level was with all the healthy foods that I'd eaten, meaning I no longer had those really low lows. What that did for me is I started to feed my brain what it needed. So I stopped craving alcohol. So I remember I woke up one day and I was like, I don't feel like shit this morning. I didn't. I didn't drink last night for the first time in years. I didn't drink last. Night. I just didn't think about it. I didn't crave it. And so I just kept adding healthier foods and got to a point where I balanced out my brain chemistry and no longer craved alcohol, pills, any of it. And then over the next two years, got completely off of antidepressants, doing the exact same thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. You gradually created a new normal for yourself. Yes, I've retrained within my your brain. brain. Uh-huh. You retrained your brain. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so the last time you used a substance, May 14th, 2014? April 
5th, 2014 was the last time that I had a drink of alcohol. It was at 9.30 in the morning. And it had been a few months since I had any pills, and those were my drugs of choice. Um, about one month ago, yeah, really about one month ago, was my one-year anniversary with my ex-boyfriend. We were in... We were at the beach and this guy that owns a smoothie place offered us weed and I smoked weed on the beach. But I was never a weed smoker. Like I hadn't smoked it in years. It, it was it was weird. It was weird. I didn't like not being present. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting because this was before I was in the program and I don't really consider myself in the program now. I've, I've dabbled in it a bit, but I was dating a lovely gentleman who had been sober for seven and a half years and his belief and his sponsor's belief was that weed didn't count. And so I was like, oh, weed doesn't count, so I'm still sober if I smoke weed, awesome. And so I smoked weed this one time and I was like going along still like, yeah, April 5th, 2014 is my sobriety date. And then once I started this, you know, fast forward, did this seeking God journey and went to AA and that was another thing that came up. It was like, you need to pray every day, you need to meditate every day and go to 12 step meetings. And I was like, what? Okay. And so I went every day for 30 days. And when I talked to people there and told them very honestly, like, yeah, it's been nearly two years since I've had anything to drink. But just to be honest, I did smoke some weed, but that doesn't count, right? And they're like, oh, it does. That counts. So your sobriety date's that date. And I struggled with that for a bit because I like to do right and do good and, you know, be by the book and everything and follow the rules. But I realized, like, I know in my heart of hearts when my mindset changed and when I got away from what was really my problem, which was the, I mean, my alcohol wasn't the problem I was, but alcohol and pills were what I was addicted to. It was never an issue with marijuana, you know? Mm. So I still have April 5th, 2014 as my sobriety date. Um, when I'm, when I go to meetings and I get chips, it's for the May 10th sobriety date because based on AA and NA, that's how that works for them. So I'm like, okay, I'll play by your rules here, but I know. For me, it's been over two years now. So, so why, uh, why the need to be completely uh, celib- celibate from the sauce? Celibate from the sauce. Why, why, why do you need to be sober? Why does it have to be a definitive? There have been times that I've wondered or kind of yearned for a future where I can like have a glass of wine or something like that, you know, hang out and have a glass of wine. But then I think, why would I want to do that? Why? Well, it's to take the edge off. Well, what's the edge though? Why do I feel that edge? That's where I'm at now is I've done so much work on broadening my awareness about myself and my place in the world that I don't want to numb out. I I shouldn't need to numb out. You want to feel everything. I want to feel all the things, (laughs) which is why I also don't eat processed sugar. I don't Uh, consume caffeine Um, anything that's numbing I try not to do which is kind of unrealistic because just eating normal food is somewhat of an emotional anesthetic I mean it all can be but the extreme sensations of numbness and trying to seek out fun through these other avenues I that are not healthy I've discontinued because it's putting toxins into my body and I kind of want to be like yo body I like you thanks for not dying all those times that I treated you like shit I look at it as I've as I've experienced it removing substances and things that change the way I feel for my life it's like I gravitate more towards my passions because I can't just go hang out with someone just for you know I, I, like I don't know it's the excuse for escape uh, removes me from the path that I want to go on yeah. it's like I can either be moving forward or moving backward 
Like if this is my vessel, my character, Mm -hmm. and I want my character to go a certain direction, I've got to invest my character in the people, places, and things that, that give me, uh, that give me something, something intangible, an energy, a feeling, ideas. And, uh, I feel like if I'm numbing myself, I'm not getting that. So it really is, is like, if this is Dungeons and Dragons, and I've got my stat sheet with all my dice rolls on it, and I want to get to, I want to get to the next quest. I'm not going to do anything to hold up the direction towards that next quest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's and I think it's interesting how you said how you basically weaned yourself off of it. Was like you had the little goal in your mind of where you're going and how you're going to do it. And over time you got there and then you just said, I don't need this stuff anymore. And also I didn't want it anymore, which was amazing. So I actually <clears throat> no longer had the physical addiction. Yeah. It was gone. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before that it was, it was fucking intense. I mean, I, I drank every single day and took pills every single day. So the, I'm a completely different person than I was. I see the same mirror, but different perceptions of the life I used to live despite all the objections. Sometimes it's hard to see that life is just really a blessing. Before you score the winning goal, there will be interceptions. Uh, and every day it's the same routine. And I wanted to segue that into to, uh, shockawake.org. Okay. Tell, tell me about that. So that is a nonprofit organization. That idea came to me when I was sitting at Swift Cantrell Park doodling and a squirrel ran by me and I heard very clearly in my head, no title. And I was like, what are you talking about? No title. And rather than being like, what? A squirrel's talking to me? I was just like, what does he mean by no title? And I realized, okay, I want to have a book that has no title. And I looked deeper into it. I'm like, I want to have a book that more than one person writes. So it's not just me writing it. It continues to evolve. It continues to grow. And so I came up with this idea for what I called the book. And um, I put, I went and bought these journals that are completely blank on the outside, kind of ratty looking. They're handmade by like women in Nepal. And I just said they were ratty looking. They're good Nepal people. They look great. Um, (laughs) Sorry. And I went in there and hand wrote different writing prompts, like five to 10 writing prompts in there of like, what is it that you really want to say? What are you afraid to say? Um, I don't know, write a bad joke. I don't think that was one of them, but I would put different prompts, right? That's a good one though. And then I would set it out in public and I put very easy to follow directions at the beginning of the book of just when you open it, it's like, hi, I've been waiting for you. You're my next writer. You have 24 hours. So go through, you can read what other people have written and go ahead and answer the writing prompts. Honestly, it's anonymous. So you can say whatever you need or want to say, and no one will know that it's been you. So there's just a way for people to have that avenue to share what they needed to share mm-hmm. and then pass it on, which that is so freeing in itself. If you look at it energetically of like the stuff that we're afraid to say of actually getting it out and then handing it out on to someone else and just putting it out into the world mm-hmm. that is getting such weight off of people's shoulders. And right now I think there are 25, 20 to 25 that are in circulation. So it started with this book. 
And my thought with the book is that it would help to shock people awake because they're walking around, they're like going by Starbucks and they're like, what's this book sitting here? And granted, 100 people will walk by, you know, because they're doing their zombie walk and they're staring at their phone. And then there's that one person that sees it. And if they keep walking, that's still enough for them to be like, what was that? You know, they've already kind of, there's been a little seed planted. Yeah. And then there'll be the person who goes and picks it up, opens it, and is like, oh, fuck, no, that, no. And then just set it down. You know, they're like, that's too much. What is this? I'm a writer. Who's watching me? Is this a Truman show? You know, <laughs> and then set it down and walk away. But still, they're going to be more apt to look for little details throughout life, right? And keep their eyes open. And then there's a person who has the kahunas to go open it, read what it says, take it home, write in it, and pass it on. So I know one made it to Ireland. Another one's in like Puerto Rico. Um, and they all started in Kennesaw, Georgia. Wow. Yeah. And so that was part of it. It started with the book. And then I was like, I need a way to market this shock awake idea. And I want it to be bigger than this. And so that's how I created these cards. Eh. These are called kindness cards. So on the front, you have a verb like appreciate or compliment or be kind or smile. So a yellow card that says, a yellow business card that says compliment with a period on the front. Mm -hmm. And on the back it says, give a genuine non-physical compliment, then pass me on. Yeah. Kindness card. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way to help connect people and help people talk to strangers, which is something we don't do a lot of because we're all on our phones and talking with people that we already the know or think we know. damn internets. Yeah, them internets. <laughs> damn it. So I started the kindness cards and started putting them out in public. And would the smile one was the most popular one, which on the back it says, shock someone awake with, a, with eye contact and a genuine smile. Because it's so rare for us to do that. You know, we look at someone's eyes and we make eye contact and it's like, oh God, what do I do? What do I do? And look away. And so just enough to help, to give people that permission to communicate with another human being, even if it's just like a smile, a genuine smile, and then they hand the card on to them. Or my favorite was if someone was like being a jackass, like handing them the card, you know, if it's in a customer <laughs> service situation, and or just leaving them out randomly. And I still take them with me and randomly leave them places because how cool is that if you're walking around again, it's like you're in your world, um, a lot of people are in these worlds of monotony and stress, and then they see this bright red card that says smiled or they see a card that says compliment and they're like what is this pick it up and that gives them a challenge it's a little challenge oh yeah yeah we need humans need challenges yes we need them we do and yeah. you you're a master challenger on yourself mm -hmm. yeah. tell, tell me a little bit about your routines from what i gathered from reading on the website uh, you got the meditation thing you try to do you got your writing that you do. Mm -hmm. You are holding back on your writing to work on your book. And I want to go to your book a whole... You know what? Fuck everything I just said. <laughs> let's talk about your book. Okay. Let's talk about the book. Okay. What's it called? Imperfect. Imperfect. Mm -hmm. And when did you start writing it? March 1st-ish. Of? Of this year. I wrote it all in a month. You wrote it in a month? Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. So how'd you get the idea? What happened? Well, I have been working on a book for a while. Actually, that big hunk of paper on the ground over there, it's like 200. You're going to touch it. Touch it. They can hear it. You can like play with the paper. There it is. That's it. 
That was volume control, which was my memoir that I'd been working on for a while. And so that was a book that I had been working on, but I just, just didn't feel right. It just didn't, it wasn't resonating with me anymore because I had been writing it for such a long period of time that a lot of the stuff I had written two years prior was no longer resonant for me. It no longer applied. Wait, wait, wait. So what I'm holding in my hand is not the book. Is not the book. No. This is a memoir that you wrote. Yeah. And the excerpts on your website that say memoir excerpt, is, is that from this? Yeah. Some of them. Mm-hmm. So you haven't published anything from your new book? No. I just want to read the first sentence of this memoir. Okay. Memoir? Okay, what is it? It's what part it? one. Okay. 2016 Jen. And, well, chapter one is dedicated to your father. Mm-hmm. It's just a quick paragraph to, to your dad for understanding your brain. Mm-hmm. Chapter two starts right away. Part one, 2016 Jen. And it's called Head Bashing. The first sentence, I was six years old the first time I repeatedly bashed my head against a wall in order to get some sense of relief. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that part, or uh, that is actually in the new book too. So, and do you want to talk about the book or bashing my head against the wall? Hell yeah, all of it. <laughs> all of all the above. Of I'll do it. All right, so with... It all kind of ties in together, really, with the whole book thing. Now, I told you that I had gotten off of antidepressants. That happened uh, December 31st, 2015 was the last time I took an antidepressant. Okay, And so over the last four and a half months, I have been weaning off of them. It was a lot harder than I had anticipated, even with feeding my brain the good stuff. It still was difficult to say, hey brain, I'm gonna give you this extra dopamine every day for a couple of years and then I'm gonna remove it. So that's there's going to be withdrawal, it's going to be difficult. And I had been on some form of antidepressant since I was 13. So this is the first time that I've been fully 100% drug free. And what I dealt with as a result was a lot of a lot of emotions, a lot of feeling, and it was a lot for me to deal with. Also, dopamine is a neurotransmitter that's responsible for helping us get up and go. So you're like, man, I really gotta pee. In order for you to get up and go pee, it requires some dopamine for you to have that reward-driven behavior and actually follow through with it. Of like, I'm gonna feel better after I pee, so I'm gonna go do that. I was to the point where without that dopamine, I would just lay in bed and I'm like, oh, I want to pee. I know I need to pee, but getting up feels so difficult. It felt like it was fucking impossible, right? And then I had all this chaotic energy inside of me, and I know part of it was the withdrawal off of the drug. Another part of it, I think, was truly feeling what life is like as Jen Butler for the first time ever. And so there was a lot of depression, and uh, some suicidality came back up, which was frustrating for me at first because... I had worked so hard on retraining my brain and getting away from old limiting beliefs. And I thought I had it all figured out. And so I'm like, why the fuck is this coming back up? Right. And I had dealt with depression and suicidality since I was six, since I was bashing my head against a wall. And I thought that I had, again, figured it out. So I kept praying to who or whatever was listening. Like, I need guidance. What should I do right now? I, I can't. It felt like I couldn't even go for a fucking walk. Um, I went like two weeks without showering. I had a friend come over and give me a bath. That's how bad it was. And that's hard for me because I'm kind of a control freak. And I also like to be put together and get shit done. And that was really tough. So when I prayed for guidance, the one thing that I kept feeling and hearing over and over again was right, right, 
just get up and write. I was like, you're fucking kidding me? And so finally I was like, fine, fine. I'm gonna go in my fart smelling blue pajamas. I'm gonna go sit down, I'm gonna fucking write. And I was like, what do I write about? What's the right thing to write about? And that's what I used to get so caught up in, the right thing to write about. And a certain chain of events happened that actually I talk about in the book. There's uh, about 20 pages of how the book actually, how I started to write the book, what really prompted it. Um, one part of that was, uh, is it the movie? Is it called Page Master with Macaulay Culkin? Yeah, yeah, and Christopher yeah, yeah. Lloyd. I had never seen that before. I watched that. Then I doodled a dragon and I was doing all these different things to try and get this creative flow happening and get my inspiration. I was like, come on, inspiration, where the fuck are you? Then I went to my bathroom to actually pee. I actually made it to the bathroom to pee. And I showed you there's that, there's written on my bathroom mirror because I write in dry erase marker on like all the mirrors ever. Write what you really want to say. I don't remember ever writing that there, but it was there. And when that happened, that was my fucking aha moment. And I was like, dude, that's what I need to do. I need to stop with this whole like, look how put together I am. Look at all the stuff I've learned. Here's what you all should do, that bullshit. I'm going to sit down and write what I really want to say. So I started the entire book with what I really want to say is. And then I kept writing and I kept writing. And I did stream of consciousness where I did not stop. Um, I mean, eventually I did too. I've talked about peeing a lot. I do have to pee. (laughs) Um, Maybe that's it. But in order to like eventually shower and that type of stuff. But I wrote, I think, eight hours straight. And then I wrote every day for the next three and a half weeks. And I wrote, um, I think it was like 380 pages of content. 67,372 words? That's after I cut it down. Yeah, I did cut some out. Wow. Mm -hmm. And perfect. How I transmuted perfectionism and depression into a book. Yeah. Written and doodled by Jen Butler. That's right. So here is the premise behind it was, what if the emotions that I'm feeling are just energy? Because realistically, that's what it is. Um, Everything's energy. Emotions are just energy. So yeah, feeling depressed, feeling suicidal is uncomfortable. But what if I can utilize that? What if I can utilize that energy to create? Right. And so removing the judgment of it being bad or something being wrong with me or like, what the fuck? Why am I here again? I was like, no, I just got a bunch of fucking chaotic, depressed energy in me. And you know what? I bet I could fucking help people with this because all of the self-help books that I've read are written. It feels like they're written from afar. Mm -hmm. It feels like they're written from someone who's like. I'm put together and here's how you a, should do it. This is a robot superhero perfect man or yes. woman who <laughs> yeah. wrote this book. Right. Yeah. So step one, do it this way. Step two, do it this way. Mm-hmm. By the end, you'll be better. So and fucked up. It is fucked up. And I was like, you know what I need to do is write a book that I would have benefited from when I was at my absolute lowest, right? Because all I needed, all I needed in those moments was to know that I wasn't fucking alone. And now realistically, I know I'm like over 7 billion people in the world. And I would tell myself this. I'm like, realistically, there's someone else out there probably right now. It's probably Adam who I haven't met yet. Who's having like a rough go right now and just needs to know that someone else exists. That's like this, you know, but I still just needed to have that connection. And if I just had a book that was someone just having real talk of like real raw talk of like, listen, I'm fucking messy as hell right now, but I'm still showing up and I'm still creating. And what I finally had to do to write this book was write what I really want to say. And I told myself I was just going to make a messy book. I'm going to make it imperfect. That's why I said, I was like, it's going to be an imperfect book. 
So rather than focusing on perfectionism, I was like, no, 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 perfectionism, we're not playing because this is going to be imperfect. Mm -hmm. By doing that, I removed the pressure from myself and it just flowed, man. Everything just flowed out exactly in the order that you will see it in the book. It just all flowed out. Just everything I wanted to say. And sometimes I would, you know, sometimes it's memoir. Sometimes it's like comic. Sometimes it's really sad. Um, other times there are doodles. And that's actually what brought my doodles back to life, which is amazing. Because <laughs> I used to get in trouble for doodling in school. It's something that I love to do. And as I was going through and writing this, I was like, you know what? I'm going to put a fucking doodle here. Why yeah. not? Why not a doodle in my imperfect book? And so I've got like, I think, 60 doodles in there. And now I've started doing motivational doodles uh, and real talk doodles on my Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And the reaction to those has been great because it it's just, I don't know, digestible. It's like palatable. You look at it and like, oh, that's cute. Oh, wow, that's profound. Rather than doing like what I did for a while, I got so spiritual. I got like hyper spiritual and I stopped cussing and I wasn't funny anymore. Uh, because God, God doesn't cuss. No, so here's the thing. Like, the God thing was only a handful of months ago. So it had nothing to do with God. I got spiritual before I found God, or whatever right. that is, right? Um, I did energy healing and got uh, attuned to Reiki, which is a form of, of energy healing. And I just read all sorts of stuff. I meditate every day. I read Deepak Chopra. I quit my... DP Chopes. DP Chopes. What's up? Shout In out house. to D, D Chopes. And... I meditated for hours a day. I quit my job and that's all that I did every day. It was like I meditated, I read, I did personal work, I journaled and I just got, I connected with like my spirit guides, started talking to dead people and animals and all sorts of stuff was happening and I was like, I'm so spiritual. Spiritual people don't cuss. Spiritual people don't oh, do yeah. bad things. Spiritual, spiritual people, people are silent a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to be the spiritual person mm -hmm. that I want to see. Right. So I wanted, I had this mold of spiritual person and I tried to like contort my body to fit into that. And I finally realized, and this book was helpful for me of like, dude, I'm, I can be spiritual as fuck and cuss. Like it doesn't matter. You and can be the truth. Okay. Here's just a quick story. There's two gurus, Ram Das and another guru guy having a conference and they've got hundreds, thousands of people waiting for them to talk, microphones, whole shebang, everything's set up. And first guy comes out. You know, looking like a guru, shaved heads, got like the robes on like a monk, you know, and he goes, stands by the microphone, and then the other guru comes out, and they see each other, and they make eye contact in front of thousands of people, and the f they don't go to shake hands, they don't go to hug, they just start tickle fighting each other. <laughs> like, seriously? Yeah. Because it feels good, you know, and they're just like, it's, they're happy, and they, you know, they tickle for a little bit, laugh, and then they, and then they stand there, and they start talking. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, back up to... Or I guess we're fast-forwarding now. We're all over the damn place. Yeah. Um, into the imperfect book. Yeah. That's how I wrote it, was just taking away the pressure for perfection and utilizing the energy of depression and suicidality. And there was a lot of that. Like, a lot of chaotic energy and didn't know what the hell I was doing with my life and I just felt really uncomfortable and I wanted to isolate away from everyone. I didn't want to go to stupid AA meetings anymore because they didn't get me and so I did 30 days in AA and got <clears throat> a temporary sponsor, worked through step eight I think and then I have backed away from AA. I'm working to find a balance there because I have such an extreme personality where I'm like all in or all out, you know, like black, white sort of thing. So I did the 30 days every day and I found 
I found myself feeling a lot more negative than I had before I went into AA and before I was around these people. And it was hold nice. On, hold on. Yeah. These people. These people. What do you those, mean, these people? Those people. <laughs> those people. Them. Let's get into it. You want what to? did you see? Yeah, what did you see? Oh. <laughs> Tell me, because what did you see? Okay. You've never been to AA. No. You went a few months ago. You started. Right. Yeah. Well, just uh, full disclosure, I went one time a year and a half ago to a random meeting in Ackworth. There were like nine people there, and one woman, I swear, was drinking gin out of her coffee cup, and uh, it was real awkward, and That's I hated how you it. do it. Yeah, I know, right? Seriously, dude. Don't be pretending in these meetings. Like, if you're going to be, drink the fuck out of that meeting. If Show you me to. how alcoholic you She's are. She's there. Yeah. She's probably still there. She's there right now. She probably might have been the realest person in that meeting. Exactly. And I look back and I see that now. So then going into AA, this go around, it was nice to hear people telling their... Okay, I want to do like real talk here. Telling themselves what they need to hear to know that they're on the right path? Is Uh, that what you were going to (laughs) say? Nope, but that sounds good too. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty much what they were doing. But at first I was like, okay, these people are being honest. Like that's what I thought at first, you know, I, I felt that. But what I noticed um, looking around was a lot of people like drinking Red Bulls and really sugary drinks and afterward people going at you know, 1130 at night going to Waffle House and that type of stuff. And I'm like, you guys do not know this is the same addiction. You're just using sugar. You're using sugar and simple carbohydrates to feed your brain what your <clears throat> alcohol used to do. And so... I was a little judgmental about it at first, but also I just felt like I didn't belong. Um, and I get I get so hung up with this because I would hear other people say that. They're like, I used to feel like I didn't belong when I was around you. I'm like, all right, so eventually I'm going to feel like I belong. This is part of it. And I started trying to fit myself into this mold of I'm a recovering alcoholic and it's all based on the book and everything's in the book. And I did that for a month. I think there's a lot of really great stuff in the book. It also says in the book that a recovering alcoholic should have, I think it's a piece of candy or a piece of chocolate by their nights on their nightstand when they're sleeping or something as they're coming off of alcohol. And I'm like, no, they shouldn't, because then you're just fucking replacing one drug with another drug. Because if you're getting off of alcohol and you're like, oh, well, let me just eat a lot of sugar. And that's what a lot of people do. You're not getting to the root issues, the emotional issues that really sparked all this addiction in the first place because it's still being numbed by fucking sugar. Let's contradict ourselves real quick. Okay. Yeah. Everything I do is a replacement for my drinking and drugging. Okay. All the shit I post on Facebook, all the things I publish, all the videos I create, Mm -hmm. all the podcasts I do. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like, like, I'm not physically addicted to it, but like, I couldn't stop if I wanted to. Right, but that's something positive. But I can't really say that either, though. Okay. That's a weird sentence. I couldn't stop if I wanted to. If I wanted to stop, I would stop. But you don't want to. No, I. But but it's. I agree with you about you know, replacing what I think what we're doing, as human beings, is we're trying to not feel alone, and we're trying to feel part of something, and we're trying to feel like we have meaning or purpose, and I think churches, AA meetings, Buddhist temples, mm-hmm. spiritual sweat lodges. 
I think that they all provide a story for someone to connect with other people that they enjoy. This story makes me feel better about being human and being yeah. and being imperfect. And like you, I wrote my I wrote my book because the book I wanted to read wasn't written. I didn't want to read how somebody recovered from being a heroin addict and how everything's great. I didn't want to read a heroin memoir that was like this is how bad it was. This is how awful that it got me to. I wanted to read the book of I wanted to know the true honest thoughts and emotions of someone who stopped and not knowing what God was, not knowing what addiction was for themselves, how to stop using, not knowing any of that shit, and figure it out through the pages. That's why I, that's why I wrote mine. And in the process of doing that, like you, like when I when I had my most painful, I fell in love with a girl. I've I've been in love with probably two girls my whole life, and this girl that I fell in love with, I um, we'd broken up, and I fell in love with her a month after we broke up, and she was already gone. And I didn't know what to do. It was a, I'd been writing, this was a last year, like uh, May of last year. And I was just trying to figure out what this emotion, this oxytocin that was being released in my brain, I was not expecting. I never really had that intensive an infatuation for someone, ever. I mean, I had for one other person before, but it was like, I'm, I'm stone cold sober. All I'm doing is writing to myself all day long. And all of a sudden, I, I need this person who I had to believe in me. And I want her with me. And I remember I drove four hours to see her in North Carolina to, to ask for her to help me be me, basically. And she couldn't. Mm-mm. And I fell into an emotional state of debilitation that lasts like three months. Where like I, I went gluten free because changing my diet, I believed because I couldn't, I wasn't eating, I wasn't, my body movements were irregular, and I, I was suggested to me that I might be gluten intolerant, and I just needed something to hold on to that yeah. I could control, and so I went gluten free, and, and it made me feel a little better, but it, I'm not. I'm not gluten intolerant at all. It was a placebo effect. It just got me through each day. And writing got me through each day. I was writing to myself because I told myself that someone will read these words and someone will be able to relate and someone will feel me in a moment where I can't feel anything but sadness. And that's what got me through it. It was at a point, I remember I went to a friend's house and and they were were like, you are not, like, what's going on with you? Like, do you want to get drunk? You want to get fucked up? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? I was like, yes, I want all those things. And they're like, well, why aren't you? And it was because I'd never finished my book. And that's why I, I took that pain and I, and I inverted it and I output it onto the page. Yeah. And it saved my life. It wasn't anything other than the story like I told myself. That this, would be, this would be something. I don't know if it'll ever exactly what will happen from it. I just knew that the, the idea that someone might be able to read my feelings in a moment in time was more important than me suffering in a moment of time. And that's how I got through it. And uh, so when I see people at, at meetings and I see people, I'm, I'm, I've been around AA meetings for seven, seven or eight years. So when I see people, I, I notice human behaviors so much now. I don't notice, and it's, and it's all, it's all rooted in our search for something, our yeah. search for meaning, our search for purpose, our search for happiness. And when you remove a pleasure, you know, an earthly pleasure that, that our brain had become accustomed to, all of a sudden we need a shock. 
that says these ple- these other pleasures are still here and it can be way better. You just got to hold on. Mm-hmm. You just got to hold on. You just got to let your brain sponge itself out over a period of time. So new um, energy and, and stuff can, yeah. en- can enter. You can learn about yourself and you learn what you love. And that becomes sufficient. I think I just preached for a little bit. It was beautiful. Oh. That's some profound stuff. So you're going to these meetings. Going to meetings. And I was really shocked at how many sober people my age there were. Because mm-hmm. I'd gone almost two years being sober. And I, I knew like one sober person. And it was my ex-boyfriend. They're like, we're the only ones. <laughs> Everyone else is intoxicated. And, or I guess I imagine like old people that were sober or like, you know, kids that were sober and that's it. So it was interesting going in and seeing people my age that were also sober and hearing people talk and just being, being real and cussing and stuff. And I enjoyed that. Um, and it's entertaining cause you're, cause everyone's young, everyone's attractive, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's got energy, like this vibrant sense about themselves. Yeah, and there there are a lot of pretty people. There are a lot of attractive people. And it's funny because I'm, I'm so sensitive to the people around me. Like, I could see where, like, I'm like, I believe that they are having sexual relations. And I think those two across the room have had sexual relations and are now looking at each other and don't like each other. And then that's like <laughs> what I'm focusing on and feeling that. So to really yeah. block that out, focus on what people were sharing, it was a, it was a scary experience. I, um, I kind of shut down a little bit and was in a ball in the corner, just like in one of the, on one of the sofas, really in one of the sofas, I was letting it eat me and just in a kind of fetal position. And <laughs> afterward I had two or three women walk up to me that were not at all afraid of me or I was like sending these energetic spikes, like fucking leave me alone. Don't talk to me. I just want to beeline it out of here. But these women walked up to me and talked to me and I got their numbers and, um, over the next 30 days became close with a handful of women. And that has been huge for me because I'd always gotten along so much better with men. And throughout my sobriety and quitting the job that I had and being a hermit writer, I didn't really have a lot of friends and I have never really had that sense of fellowship. So I was able to gain that, to gain a handful of good girlfriends and I've never really been able to say that and these are people who have been able to see me through some really hard shit because I was like you know what? I'm I'm just going to be really honest with these people of just how batshit I'm feeling and that's that's what was weird for me is I thought I had it all again I had it all figured out like I have this destination in mind I'm going to get it all figured out then I'm going to be fine and I'm getting over that slowly but <laughs> You know, going into AA, I had no idea that going through the steps, considering how much personal work I had done over the past nearly two years, I didn't think that going through these steps would really affect me. And they did. Mm. Um, And a lot of stuff came up. And I was told to reach out to three women a day. And so I did. For the 30 days, I called three, at least three women a day. And that's what I did. That's what I did when a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. when I stopped writing the book, and I, I ended it for the time being. I just reverted to that. I said I'm going to call three because I've been talking to myself so long. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call three people every day, and I'm only going to do what I want to do. But like that was the root. That was I'm going to be honest. Call three people because 
I don't know what it is. It's like I've no matter how much I post on the internet, no matter how much good feedback I get from people, I've got like the one of the coolest things that ever was I got a message from someone in Australia and it was like a full length letter about watching one of my videos and I never even know who this person was and telling me how much it meant to him. That that you know it made me feel good to get that, but you know searching for that again that that connection like through blasting my thoughts at a at an internet at an internet mm-hmm. i need those three real i don't i mean i don't know if it's any real more real or less real it was just like well the problem for me was the idea of who i was was farther way ahead of who i actually am so i don't know what that was so you got so you started calling three people and you started connecting with a group of friends and you were, you made a point to go to a meeting every day, mm-hmm. and you wrote about your prayers in the morning mm-hmm. and at night and at night. Yeah. And what was the what was the step process like for you? I had I had done the steps once before by myself through a book called Codependent No More, and. It was a, or it's a codependent no more workbook or whatever. And it's based on, it's codependency based on the, or healing from codependency based on the 12 steps. So I took myself through it. And like for my fifth step, I reached out to a friend and I went, I remember I went and shared with him, um, like what I thought he could handle. And I only shared half of it, which was codependent. (laughs) (laughs) You're deciding what someone can handle. (laughs) Yep. Cause I know everything. Uh Um, so going through the steps this time and doing my, fourth step, which is you know the moral inventory of all the stuff that I feel guilty about or all the stuff that I thought happened to me and all that. And then doing the fifth step of sharing it with someone, of sharing every single thing that came up was very freeing for me and very helpful whenever I did later work on the book. You know, a couple weeks later is when I started the book, or it might have actually been around the same time. Fuck, I think it Doing the fifth step and sharing so openly and honestly helped me with my writing. It helped me to remove a lot of that sense of victimhood that I had still been feeling. And um, that helped whenever working on the book. And then going through the rest of the steps, six, seven, made it to eight. And then here's an interesting thing. made it through step eight. And then I broke up with my sponsor. Is it firing a sponsor or do you break up with them? You I don't br- know. You break you up. You break up. Them. It felt like a breakup. Sponsors are people too. They are. They are. Yeah. You never, f- yeah. <laughs> you, say you never forget your first one. You never the- forget your first one. <laughs> <laughs> I still miss her. I think about her every day. Uh, yeah. I think about him, him, him too. <laughs> <laughs> So I have not done step nine, which is to actually go and make amends. Um, And that is Mm. something that I really need to do. I feel like I need to do and I really want to do. That's a good one because uh, it's like, it's letting yourself be seen for who you are now and accepting the brunt of all your past Mm -hmm. mistakes fully to where it's like now. It like rebalances the universe in a sense with your relationship with whoever person it was because it's no longer yours. That's good. What about the fourth step and the fifth? What about them? How was it for you writing out your resentments, your fears, (laughs) your sex inventory? How was all that, writing down all that? 
Well, to be honest, the sex inventory didn't take very long. I haven't had a very exciting life, and that's okay. Um, the resentments, at first, I was like, I'm spiritual. I don't have any resentments. I forgive everyone. Like, really, I was like, I I can't think of anyone I'm resentful toward. And my sponsor was like, okay. So, except for myself. <laughs> except I hate me. Um, she's like, uh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, just go ahead and pray about it. And she used to say that. She used to fucking drive me nuts. She's just pray about it. But... It always helped just being silent and rather than trying to figure everything out, just sitting down and being silent and praying helped for whatever reason. Uh, Maybe higher power, maybe not. I don't know. And she told me to pray about it. And then it was like I double clicked a folder of resentments and in rapid succession, I wrote out 150 people's names. I was like, I didn't even know I knew 150 people. That's that's like almost all the Pokemon. <laughs> all of them. That's actually who I was resentful toward. Was yeah, all the every single one. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Uh, Bulbasaur, <laughs> Venusaur. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of them Pokemon. I can't go any further than two. Good. I know Charmander. Uh-huh. That's about it. Okay. Hitman Lee, Hitman Chew, Machop, Machamp, <laughs> uh, Squirtle, Bulbasaur. I already said this too. Fuck. Mm. Ah. The two people that are left listening, one of them's like going through them right now. He knows all of them. He's like, "Why don't you? you? How could you not know this?" Mew, Mewtwo. You never said, "Oh, Genghis Khan." That was a warrior. That was a war conqueror. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, dudes. <laughs> Pokey fail. God. So you got 150 people on a resentment list. I did, and I wrote down the resentments I had toward them, and um, it. It was fine to do. Here's the thing is that I was so amped about doing it at first. I'm ready to get this inventory out of me and move on with my life. And then I wrote down the 150 names and I was like, I'm busy. (laughs) (laughs) I need to clean my sock drawer Uh and clean my whole house. And I did clean my whole house. And, uh, you know, I really think that... Yep, yep, here it is. The timing of all this, fuck, yeah, is when I actually started Imperfect. I think that I began Imperfect as a way to procrastinate on my fourth step. Ah, yeah, it did. all comes full, full circle. Yes, there it is. There it is. I was trying to, to piece that together. I think I tried to forget that, but there it is. Found it. And so I was like, I'm just so busy writing this fabulous book, I, I can't do my fourth step. It's, yeah. Well, it is, it's in a sense, part partly kind of a fourth step. Mm-hmm. It's like a... Inventory, daily inventory of your own imperfections. Yep. And the fourth step did that, and then did my fifth step, where I sat and talked with my sponsor and told her all the things. And it was funny. I struggle so much. I, I'm good at writing about myself and sharing it that way, because I'm like, people can read at their leisure, and they can stop reading if they want to. Mm-hmm. But when I have someone sitting next to me, and I'm like, I've got like six and a half hours of just real boring shit to tell you. I felt guilty about it. So two hours in, you know, I'm like, can I get you anything? <laughs> Should I pay you for this? I don't. For real. And Do you I need actually... a break? For real? Do you need a break? Right. Please, <laughs> please take, take a break. It's yeah. okay. And I, I wanted to make things more exciting than they were. You know, I wanted to, to try and it was just this codependency that was just coming up all over the place. And so I really just had to just keep 
doing it, just keep saying what it was that was on this freaking paper and letting it out. And it was, it was very freeing to do because there's some stuff that I had never told anyone. Um, and afterward doing my sixth and seventh step is when I really started to feel some relief. And then going into the eighth step of writing down the people to make amends with, that's when, I don't know if it was like self-sabotage that happened or what, but I was like, all right, breaking up with sponsor, not going to go to AA meetings anymore. And I didn't decide. I wasn't consciously like, I'm not going to go to AA anymore. It just, I fell off from it. And now I want to find a balance with it. I want to find a balance of going a couple days a week, but or going when I want to go right? Rather than like, I need to go every single day, or I have to go to these specific meetings because these people expect me. I just, th- that just feels forced. I just want to go when I want to go. Yeah. That's how I do it. So, well then that's the right way. Yeah, You should <laughs> listen to me. I am going to. Stop. <laughs> so you're, so you learned from these 30 days of your search for God. You learned about AA, you learned about yourself, you learned about how you're going to practice mindfulness in a sense, because a good written word is just mindfulness happening on paper. It is. And I learned that it wasn't an idea of God that I was seeking. It was an experience of God, right? And throughout this 30-day process or 30-day journey, I learned so much about myself and how being kind and gentle to myself was in a way, and I don't know how this all works, but like godly in a sense of like how I need to treat myself well. And that's what kept coming up throughout this seeking God journey was being kinder to myself and gentler to myself and having more fun in life and really enjoying life rather than trying to figure everything out. And so I had these moments of just fucking bliss where I was like, man, life's fucking awesome. I remember I was making soup one night and I was like, (laughs) this is amazing. I'm going to take this salmon and these fucking carrots. I'm going to put them in a blender and I'm going to call it soup. And I love my life. And I remember thinking, the fuck's wrong with me? Why am I loving making soup right now? And so that's, I got to this place of okayness, no matter what, no matter what came up. It was like, well, maybe this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't know. And maybe this is this God character helping me out. I don't know. I don't know everything. Wow. That's a load off. But you you seem to have experienced a bunch of synchronicities that align with your thoughts and, and giving it up to whatever the idea that yeah. you're... Lots and lots of synchronicity. And those are those moments where I get those nice little tinglies and I'm like, there's something more. I, I know that there is. I Because it would just be really sad if we were it if like which is these human beings just human beings no g just human being human beings walking around like eating and pooping and that is it and like thinking we're all important i i just feel like there's got to be something more than that and my understanding of it now which grows every day and sometimes does a little cha-cha and takes a few steps back and then goes forward that might be salsa i have no idea <laughs> i don't know about dancing That's the macarena <laughs> oh right that one um hokey pokey as well i think they do something like that so so you think there's got to be something to all this. It, it can't just be a bunch of like conscious beings, 7 billion conscious beings wandering around looking for stuff. <clears throat> you ever think about maybe that the world in its entire, the cosmos, everything that you experience is being directed just for you? That you are God manifesting itself as it's creating around you? I think that we are all God. So then, yes. 
All right, cool. Moving on. <laughs> Great. Do you need a pee break? I would love to pee. Your essential self is the foundation of the universe. Just as the waves are continuous with the ocean, your body is continuous with the total... The book coming out is called Imperfect, and uh, the next podcast will be what it's like being a published author. Oh shit! Like a legit, like outside the internet's, onside the internet's, all around the internet's, in real life, in your bookstore, in your car, published author. Ooh, that feels good. It's a dream come true. It is. Before the age of thirty, that's been my goal, and it's gonna happen. Life as we experience it's a big act, and that behind this big act is the player, and uh, the player you. I had a one title one time I spoke at a conference and I got to choose my title. What was it? Well, they asked me for my title. I made one. Mm-hmm. It was master of my own domain. Oh, so my okay. name badge said that. And I just felt really good about it because I was jobless, homeless, and uh, didn't have anything to really be proud of at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm kidding. That was it. Okay. That was yeah. It's just, you got me there. That was a sad moment in my life. And You've now, come so far. now I need to just go. Thanks for joining us, you guys. Goodbye. That was this was inside the mind's eye. With Adam Abramowitz and another person behind. <laughs> Thanks for healing me. <laughs> okay. But different perceptions of the life I used to live despite all the objections Sometimes it's hard to see that life is just really a blessing Before you score the winning goal there will be interceptions Uh, and every day it's the same routine Waking up, grab my board and then hit up the scene Call my homie Ross, then Easterly We gon' hit up stop two, bring the fucking team It's crazy when I think about a year ago today I stepped away from all the drugs and felt all of this hate I had to tell myself that one day life would end up great And that this rap would be my life and end up being fate And everyone keeps saying, man you really got this flow So why the fuck are you still here and not out at some shows? Well maybe that's just God telling me I need to grow And when I'm finally there I'm confident he'll let me know Thinking about what's right and wrong I thought about it way too long And when will I see better days? Please tell me this is just a phase I'm thinking about the yin and yang And why do people feel such pain? Maybe I will never know The path for which to go 
I'm thinking about what's right and wrong I've thought about it way too long But when will I see better days? Please tell me this is just a phase When your heart has been broken To pick yourself up off the ground And go buy some more tokens Cause love is just a game In case you miss the image spoken But this the game That when you lose You might as well be choking Uh And man regardless I can never quit I swear to God A fucking bra Would ever get me lit And still I've never met A single one Who was legit I'm 22 I may be young And I've been around a bit It's crazy Man I only ever asked you For just one thing Just be real Then when the phone rings Just answer it I don't like things And that's two things Okay, so I ain't perfect When I write down to my blueprints on the page, man, I straight murk it, uh I know it's hard, but man, I gotta believe that I'll make it Cause not a lot of people mean what to say, but I'm too real to just fake it, uh And when I see the opportunity, I'll take it Swear to God, this life's a blessing, man, I can't forsake it, uh I'm thinking about what's right and wrong I've thought about it way too long And when will I see better days? Please tell me this is just a phase I'm thinking about the yin and yang And why do people feel such pain? Maybe I will never know The path for which to go I'm thinking about what's right and wrong I've thought about it way too long And when will I see better days? Please tell me this is just a phase